talking about an old guy who likes older things. Uh, it's We're talking about Indiana Jones. We're talking about the Dial of Destiny and everything Indiana Jones, the entire filmography, or I guess franchise here. Um, I guess, Colin, maybe not the most um, timely discussion of these movies, but, you know, like, we are... Would you rather talk about The Meg 2 or... Um, Gran Turismo or what or Haunted Mansion? Which movie would you rather talk about? Listen, I I know this franchise. I've raced it a thousand times in the game. <laughs> Sometimes I've I've seen that trailer so many times in theaters, and I'm like, I just need that movie to go away. I'm sure it's like the most average thing ever, but I just I just don't. I need I need to I need it to stop. There's like one Sony movie every year that plays their trailer 50 billion times. And that's the one, so I hate it. <laughs> it's this year's movie. And the, the collective groan that came out when they announced it was getting pushed back a week, just earth-shattering. <laughs> so you could see it 50 more times in theaters, the trailer. Um, yeah, so we are kind of in the doldrums. And it's also been an interesting year, um, I think, for like an interesting summer blockbuster season where we've seen a lot of successes. I mean, our last podcast, we talked about Barbenheimer and... Barbie just crossed a billion dollars. Oppenheimer's doing great too. The, I guess I think I saw it's the highest grossing movie set during World War II ever made, which is that's that's certainly something. So there's been a lot of successes, and there's also just been a lot of I wouldn't call them flops, but kind of just kind of eh going on, you know? Like, well, I wouldn't say this movie is done horribly, but you know, Mission Impossible, uh, Dead Reckoning has probably underperformed i would say i think it's made over over half a billion but i think paramount was expecting more um and you have a movie like dial of destiny which apparently cost everything in the world to make <laughs> uh this movie cost i think way over 300 million dollars to make um and it's doing okay at the box office i guess like it's certainly not lighting the world on fire in its own right um but I'll put it to you there first too. What are your kind of just like, what are your thoughts about kind of like the blockbuster, the state of the blockbuster and kind of where Dial of Destiny sits in it? It's like, I'm excited and also depressed at the same time to watch like, you know, uh, I, I don't want to spoil too many things, but some of the movies that I had on my most anticipated for the year have just floundered. Uh, but at the same time, like who could have guessed a year ago that Barbie would be, I mean, unless something crazy happens, the biggest movie this year, um, like who, who, who would have pictured it getting a billion dollars in under a month? Like, that's just insane. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to see And I still hate to call it an original movie because it's, it's based on Barbie, but to see like an original franchise kind of enter in and, just be this massive thing. And and especially with Oppenheimer, which is not like your typical um, action, like IMAX kind of movie Um, just to see those succeed is really cool. Even if things that I, you know, I love like mission impossible and Indiana Jones are struggling a little bit. Well, mission impossible, struggling a little bit. Indiana Jones struggled a lot of it. Yeah. I I just looked it up. It's Indiana, uh, Indiana Jones is made 370 million worldwide. So that's probably not breaking even for quite a while <laughs> for the old mouse. But, you know, you've had other movies, too, like the Transformers movie. Um, I still want someone to explain to me why they're just like apes now. That, that's still confusing to me. But that movie. Big kinda, Monkey. 
Yeah, Big Monkey, right? <laughs> Godzilla movie... versus Kong restarted the box office after COVID. So it only makes sense. <laughs> so that movie kind of underperformed. You have, you have the Elemental, which actually did better than people like. It's really hung on at the box office, but I think for Pixar, that's still like a little bit of an underperformance there. And then even before um, the summer, you had you had Ant Man, um, just being horrible uh, and also not making a lot of money oh yeah the flash too i forgot about the flash (laughs) um but you just have like a lot of these i guess like sequels or legacy sequels or or like fast x too or just like franchises that maybe have gone on maybe a little too long for people's liking um and they're not underperforming and it's interesting to see um uh, dial of destiny kind of fall into that because it's you know, for a long time, we never really expected there to be an Indiana Jones 5 to begin with. Um, and now it's here. Um, and so it's just kind of interesting to see when the lands- in the landscape of all this, how it falls. You know, there's a there's a case to be made that there's a lot of mirroring between it being a movie about an old guy versus the people who are in power uh, who makes these decisions around, around the world. You know, I'm not going to make that decision or make that case, but maybe I just did. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... We wanted to talk about this because I think we both really love Indiana Jones. We love the franchise, um, even for all of its kind of moves back and forths between maybe mid and also some of the best movies ever made. <laughs> so I'll, I'll point it to you. What are I know you are probably out of the two of us. You love Indiana Jones definitely more. So why don't you kind of talk about why you love the franchise so much? Yeah, so I... You know, Star Wars is something that's been there like my entire life. Some of my earliest memories are like watching Star Wars. Um, but Indiana Jones wasn't that way for me. Um, and I I'm pretty sure the first interaction I ever had with Indiana Jones was when he showed up as a playable character in Lego Star Wars the complete saga <laughs> as like a lead up to uh Crystal School coming out. You're really remember, showing like, your age ask- there. <laughs> I remember like asking my dad about it, like who's Indiana Jones? Like, what's this? Why does he look like Han Solo? Um, and like renting all of those movies from the library um, when I was a kid. And then I remember for the longest time, I only owned the first two. And so like the last crusade and crystal skull were kind of like a treat because I didn't own those. So I couldn't watch those all the time. Um, but I just, as I got older, I, you know, I still love star Wars, but I no longer hold it on the pedestal that I did because Indiana Jones has kind of taken its place. Um, I showed you before we got on, I have a wall of Indiana Jones, like props, all the different artifacts from the first four movies, um, that I have, right. There's only one franchise that I have pinned to my wall like that. Um, and it's just, it's great. Like B movie slacky action. Um, it's really heartfelt in certain movies, not all of them, um, as I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit further on, but yeah, this is, this has always been kind of my favorite escape franchise. Um, the last crusade was my most watched movie during the pandemic. Um, I've gotten to see all of these except for crystal skull re-released on the big screen, which is kind of cool. Um, and it's one of those things where like every time Raiders comes back, which has been three times in the past three years, I've gone to go see it because I just I love me some indie. Yeah, it's I think for me, uh, we we can't go too far in this conversation without talking about the sound effects. Like I just always think of the punch sound effect first because it is so like out of context. It is so hilarious, like how over the top it is. And it's just so fun. And it really just adds to like the rollicking spirit of these movies. Obviously, they're they're um, very much um, 
there, there's a lot of influence from like 1930s serials that uh, George Lucas and Spielberg loved growing up. Um, and it, it just really just captures that really fun sense. And there's, you know, all the Lucasfilm sound effects you will hear. And in, in some of the movies, you'll hear a lightsaber uh, noise for like when do- like something like electrical is happening or like a TIE fighter sound. It's just, it's really fun. And it kind of adds, it just adds like a little special little nuance to how like wonderful and singular these movies are for me. Um, I forget when I first watched it, but I think... You know, I, I came to, to Raiders first and totally just blew my mind. I think I was like a teenager when I watched it. Um, it probably isn't, but spiritually, I would probably call it the, like the first modern action movie in a lot of ways. Like, I think it's really informed how a lot of like just general like action movies are tried to made now. Like, I think there's a lot of like, I think like. I think about a movie like Dungeons and Dragons that came out this year. Like that, I think that movie is aping a lot of like it's like swashbuckling charm from the Indiana Jones and franchise, and especially Raiders. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just so much fun. Um, very like some of the movies are very campy, and I think Raiders doesn't get enough credit for how campy it is um, at sometimes. Um, but it's Spielberg just be, like shooting the shit out of amazing action sequences. <laughs> And then you have Harrison Ford just being like, I don't know, Harrison Ford. And it's just amazing. And I think the other thing, too, is I like to talk about Harrison Ford a little bit because he's my favorite. I love that man. Um, (laughs) He is, um, you know, he's like, obviously, he's a one of one. He's Harrison Ford. Uh, But he's just like, I love him as an action star because he just feels like a real guy, you know? Um, where you have like The Rock and like all these other like Marvel heroes now who are probably like steroided up doing whatever. He just looks like a normal dude who's like definitely works out, but like isn't taking any supplements or he's just like a lot of his athleticism and strength probably comes from just like being out in the world and experiencing things. You know, he has like that kind of like old, like I think of like, like a Marlon Brando in on the waterfront body where it's kind of like, He's strong, but it's kind of just from, like, doing things with his hands, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And that like, kind of like that gruff exterior. Like, he's, like, he's kind of, he kind of looks like an everyman, but obviously he's not. Which I just think is just, it's such a good combination. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about Harrison Ford and what you love about him as well? Yeah, you know, Harrison Ford, so my my dad's super into 90s action movies, um, so in my house, we were either watching Harrison Ford movies or Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Um, and I always gravitated a little bit more towards Harrison Ford because kind of like you said, like he he feels like a normal guy, um, you know, even in even when he's playing Indiana Jones or even when he's playing like super spy Jack Ryan or uh, President Marshall in Air Force One, one of my favorite Harrison <laughs> Ford gyms. Um, like he's just a normal guy, uh, which is really nice. It, but like he has he has such a kind of stick it to him leading man personality like Harrison Ford is never going to act like he he's never going to become another character played by Harrison Ford he's going to become Harrison Ford played by this other character yep if that, if that makes any sense like he he's always going to be himself in that sense um and i think it's just really endearing that kind of carefree attitude but he's also really sentimental like in some of these movies but in all of his performances um 
you, you it's really easy to forget that he's actually really good at comedy. Um, and there's another actor that I'll talk about a little bit later on that I think they bounce off of each other really well in that regard. And he just brings a lot of heartwarming moments to Indiana Jones, which I don't think we get to see him do as Han Solo. Um, and man, he, he's a good actor. I'm glad carpentry didn't work out for him. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I totally forgot he was supposed to be a carpenter when I made the, um, like the, he just does stuff with his hands comment. Um, but just, you know, the, the shoe fits, I guess. Uh, <laughs> he, yeah, he's just like, I, I think obviously like so much of this franchise is just like very singular, talented people coming together to make something really cool. Like Harrison Ford, obviously like a one of one, like I just like, you know, I love that guy like you. He's just amazing in everything. Even like the last like 20 years of his career where he's just kind of like showing up in random mo- movies, like age of Adeline or like <laughs> gifted um, hands. Yeah. Or like he comes back to do another Blade Runner movie or Han Solo or whatever. Um, you know, it's like, I just like, he's just, he's just got that magic still. He's still amazing. I haven't seen that shrinking show that he's in on Apple TV plus, but, um, it's probably, he's probably great in it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just, you know, he's just, it's a weird thing. He's crotchety, but he's also very warm and loving. Um, it's just really, it's kind of like, he really does have like a quality that you never quite can quite grasp, but he always like, and that, I think that makes him really affecting when he turns on like different strands of his personality, when he gets like really like emotional or he gets like, like the opposite of that. He gets like really like gruff and strong. I think it just works because it's like slightly like not what you expect. I don't even know if that makes sense, but I just, I just really love the guy. Um, but yeah, then you have, you have Spielberg and Lucas obviously coming together for these movies. You know, Steven Spielberg, he's a he's a good director. <laughs> he's a, he's made a, he's made a few. You know, he's made a few movies you might have heard of. Um, and yeah, he's made I guess four of these. Um, and you know, they're different. They're they're definitely differences in quality, but, um, it's just, I think that's obviously it's Spielberg magic, like the stuff that worked, that's why these movies work too. Um, but yeah, I think, do you have any other kind of like overarching ideas about this franchise you wanted to share before we kind of get to the ranking of them? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's really cool because I think a lot of these movies are just so many, incredible like people and and i'll get a little bit more into specifics as we get into each movie but just so many incredible people coming together and really collaborating Mm -hmm. um you know like some of the best set pieces in this are just they're like well this cliff looks cool and then they put something (laughs) together because you had so much talent all sitting here in one room um you know you really created something special and i really like how these movies I'll pay tribute to the things they're, they're all nostalgic for a certain type of movie and a certain feeling that Spielberg and Lucas had growing up, but they're not like what we get from nostalgia now. Right. It's not, you know, yeah, let's, let's bring all these, point. let's bring hum- Humphrey Bogart's character from treasure of the Sierra Madre back. It's <laughs> let's, let's make a love letter to this thing that feels like something you might've seen then, but it's well at the time, modern and new and let's see what of their own personalities and their own life, they can really breathe into it. So it's, they really feel timeless to me in a lot of ways because of that, because they're, you know, Raiders is 41 years old now, 42 years old. 
Um, but it's because it was already mimicking this older style and this older time frame when it came out, it doesn't feel like it's aged hardly at all most of the time. Yeah, that's a great point because you have so many movies that are, even modern movies that are just nostalgic for Indiana Jones and they just feel like, either they just feel like pastiche, they just feel like, oh yeah, they're doing an Indiana Jones riff. Like, I think that's like, that's another thing where it's like, I mentioned before how it's kind of informs every action movie, but there's just like, there's a whole genre of movies now that are just like, let's just try to make an Indiana Jones movie where they have to go to a fun exotic location and find a fun MacGuffin and solve a few puzzles. <laughs> that's, and that's the, and that's just like a huge genre of like adventure movies that people that Hollywood continues to try to make. Like, uh, like you watch the, like the Tomb Raider movie that came out a few years ago. It's like, Oh, they're just, they just made that an Indiana Jones movie kind of thing. Um, so um, even like the lost city with uh, Channing Tatum and, uh, and Sandra Bullock, there's a little romancing in the stone in there too, but it's basically just like an Indiana Jones movie. Um, Who can forget so, jungle cruise. Yeah, I, I could forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I really could. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just, you're, you're so, you're, you're so right about it. How they're like, it's nostalgic in the right ways where it's like, we're presenting you what we like, but we're also not slavishly like, like trying to like recreate it. So I, just, I think it's a really good call. Um, shall we get to rankings? Shall we do it? Let's do it. So we're gonna, we are gonna try and see how we do in here. We're gonna try to rank. Uh, com- we're gonna combine ranked the Indiana Jones movies from five to one. Um, so I guess the way this will work is each of us will kind of take turns presenting a movie to be placed in the next spot on the list. And then we're just going to hash it out and see if that works. And maybe um, my favorite Indiana Jones movies is, is, is the crystal skull. Maybe we'll fight it out. We'll see what happens, but we're just going to take turns going back and forth and seeing how this works. So Colin for you, I will let you present a movie that should be in the number five slot. So what do you think is the worst Indiana Jones movie? I'm going to go ahead and nominate uh, The Mummy Returns for the number five spot. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, I I kind of waffled on this a little bit, but in, at the same time, I didn't at all. Um, and I'm going to put our uh, current Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I'm going to nominate that for number five. That is interesting. I ha- So I had that slightly higher, but... I think that's fine because I had that. So for me, personal rankings, it's my four. So I think that fits if that's your, if that's your five, let's do it. I have a feeling my four is your five. Then. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll put in dial of destiny at number five for now, which is um, interesting. Cause I think when you look at this franchise, you have a few bangers in there. Um, I Let's see how you feel. We'll get into Dial of Destiny as, since this is your least favorite. But I wouldn't say there's any horrible movies here, would you say? I would agree. At least watchable. Um, but yeah, I, so it, it's, it'll be interesting to kind of see what we do with like the middle of the range here. Um, but yeah, Dial of Destiny is... It's pretty interesting. I, I would say this. It's not... Maybe less interesting in practice because, like, the farther I get away from it, the least, like, the like, the less I think of it. Um, but in terms of like, 
it just being made at all and like the resources that went into it. Um, Harrison Ford just being in an action movie again at 80 years old. It's just like, it's like the guy, that guy, like, like just, he's amazing. What can I say? Um, but yeah, this is the only movie not, uh, not directed by Spielberg. We got James Mangold, who I generally like as a director. You know, he made the best dad movie of the last couple of years, Ford v. Ferrari. Um, oh, yeah. So um, I'll, I'll take it to you first since you wanted, wanted to place it at number five. What, kind of, what are your general thoughts about Dial of Destiny? So I'm going to echo your first sentiment a little bit that I don't think this movie is terrible. I don't think it's bad. I think it's just okay. Yeah. And for me, Indiana Jones is the gold standard. So when it comes, you know, for its final outing with a bronze, I'm, you know, just a little let down. And I think what really separated this from my number four pick, which is probably obvious, but I won't reveal yet, um, is that in that movie, I think there are some genuinely really great moments scattered throughout that one. Whereas in this movie, I don't think there's anything terrible, but I also don't think there's anything great. I think this movie is just fine from start to finish, um, but it it doesn't really leave me with anything that I'm really like, oh, I can't wait to see this part again, or this really got to me or anything like that. It's just, it's a movie that exists, and I wish it felt like something a little bit more to me. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes from with James Mangold directing this movie. It, this does feel like the first time where the, well, maybe Crystal Skull a little bit too, but this feels like the first time where it's like this movie is very much playing on the nostalgia of the franchise itself, where it's definitely eating its tail a little bit. Um, and this movie is two and a half hours long. Uh, the thing about all of these movies are they they're like right around two hours they just really move and i think that's like it's really key for these event, rollicking adventure movies just to have that really good pacing um and there's definitely a half hour of this movie you could cut out like i think every action sequence like it could probably get like chopped down a little bit like they just keep going and going like the the opening sequence with ai ai harrison ford <laughs> on the uh nazi train uh getting getting the dot trying to get the dial that that entire sequence feels like it's five hours long <laughs> it just keeps going and uh, you keep expecting it to end like uh, there's like a few different points where they could have just like cut it and it would have ended or they could have ripped out a couple pieces of it um and it just keeps going and i think there's a few moments in this movie where it just keeps going and they could have used a more it could have used an editor um i don't know how you feel about that but that just like it really just felt like it zapped a lot of the energy from it where it, it's definitely it's technically well crafted and there's some fun moments in it and we'll get to the ending because i have to, i have thoughts about the ending later on <laughs> but um yeah it just feels like somebody could have come in here and just like stitched together a two-hour cut and it would have been way more entertaining yeah and i think what really like th this one feels like a modern movie and kind of like you said it feels like it's nostalgic for itself and i think dial of destiny really misses the connection between the genre of the movie and the time period. It's like you talked about earlier, the first three were all based off of these 1930s adventure serials. Uh, when they got to Crystal Skull, it was based off of like 1950s sci-fi flicks. And this one doesn't really feel like it's rooted into the movies that were popular at that time period. Um, if that makes yep. sense. Yep, like, I, I feel like 
this, you know, Spielberg always wanted to make a James Bond movie. I feel like this should have been the one to be playing off of, like, because that's the James Bond era that Indy's kind of living in. And it, it doesn't really feel as authentic to the style of movies and just like the style of production of the time. Whereas um, all of the other four do, um, even if it's a little more comical in a certain one than it is the other three. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And, you know, just A.I. Harrison Ford is weird. Like It's just, yeah. really, it's just really weird. You know, like we're still, I, you know, I'm kind of against de-aging actors in general, but we're still in the, in the uncanny Valley stage and, He's doing his own voice still, so it's weird where he looks young, but it's the 80-year-old Harrison Ford voice. Um, it's just very... And he's still moving like 80-year-old Harrison Ford. It's very weird. And, um, you know, we're bringing the Nazis back for a third time. You can do it twice. I'm good with twice. And the second time, it works beautifully. But three times is, eh, we're, push, we're pushing it a little bit. <laughs> I, I, have, I do have appreciation for... Well, we'll get to those two other two movies that don't have the Nazis in them. They tried something there, you know? They tried to think of other villains. <laughs> um, not Maybe not successful in some cases, uh, but they at least tried something different. But yeah, if the, it, you know, we're playing the hits quite a bit here, uh, where um, yeah, you just have the Nazis coming back. Mads Mikkelsen is who I adore and is like one of my favorite actors, but you know, he's, oh, yeah. this is this is this is kind of this is kind of bad guy karaoke for him. This is probably what the, the the eighth big American movie where he's played the like the Le Chief esque like villain, you know. Um, so he is, you know, he's kind of running it back with him. Harrison Ford's kind of kind of running it back. Um, I guess I did like Phoebe Waller Bridge. She, I thought she was pretty fun. She, uh, I really admire that her character never is fully redeemed she's kind of a scumbag the whole time and she kind of just wants money <laughs> the entire time and i feel like and she probably def she definitely did some rewrites because she likes to she's a, she's big on the writing side of her projects but i would imagine under different hands the studio note would have been like hey can we make her a little more likable uh but i really <laughs> enjoyed that she's just kind of a scoundrel and i really i just really appreciated that it was just a fun energy i don't know how you felt about her i enjoyed her character i did not enjoy the kid she brought along <laughs> i'll say yeah that. what's what's his what's his name i don't even is it teddy is that, is that I, it? I didn't even bother to look it up i just wrote that kid in my notes <laughs> and it's like it's it's very clear so so what i like about her is she feels like a much more interesting version of mac from kingdom of the crystal school Mm -hmm. where she is pretty ambiguous through most of the movie and you're never a hundred percent sure what side she's on. Um, and, and she does feel really new in that regard, but then you get to that kid and you're like, okay, they're just trying to make another short round. Um, when he straight yeah. up like murders a guy under the underwater with the handcuffs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he just, the, the, Phoebe Waller-Bridge brings the charm. The character of that kid does not. And it's very clear that, like, that's one of the points where they're really pining for that nostalgia of Indiana Jones. And, like, oh, people love Temple of Doom, uh, which I think it's kind of funny that Temple of Doom gets mentioned more than any of the other movies. Like, there's references to that later yeah. throughout. And then they just kind of leave the other ones alone. But they're like, people love Temple of Doom now, so we should put this kid in because they had a kid in. Yeah, definitely. I wonder if he, like... 
like John Favreau loves the Star Wars holiday special, so he put a lot of references to that in the Mandalorian. <laughs> so I wonder if James Mangold's like actually Temple of Doom is the best Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> He's throwing all these little references in it. Uh, yeah, I looked it up. His name was Teddy. I'm really proud of myself for getting that right. I I pulled that somewhere out of my head. <laughs> um, yeah, I think kind of like the thing we're getting at. It's kind of tough to. It's both. It's just kind of tough to. This is one of those movies that's kind of tough to talk about because it's technically proficient, but never really unbelievably exciting or full of personality. Like it's just kind of it's empty in a lot of ways. Like even I I love my guy Boyd Holbrook and he's just I don't what he's playing just like a racist who wants <laughs> to help out. Um, he's um, playing the guy from Logan. Listen but without a robot hand. Yeah, exactly. And he's just there. Normally I'm like, hell yes, but Boyd Holbrook, let's go, baby. And then he's just he's just kind of there. And it's like, oh, okay, I wish there was more out of this character. But he's mostly just the muscle. Um, or the secondary muscle. Because ripped to that guy who got drowned by a uh, short round. A uh, short round two. <laughs> um, shorter round. Yeah, shorter round. Maybe taller. He looked a little taller. Taller round. Uh <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, Antonio Banderas shows up just playing like an absolute dirty <laughs> boat guy. <laughs> and that was kind of fun. Um, but uh, yeah, it just it just feels like this movie is just kind of lacking a little personality from, from my perspective. Yeah, and I think kind of one of my biggest hangups with the movie is the way they handle Indy, Mutt, and Marion as a unit um because oh yeah not to get into spoilers but they kill mutt off screen um and then like there's a lot of implied tension between indy and marion but she's not in the movie she's a glorified cameo who -hmm. shows up at the end to recreate a scene from raiders of the lost ark um and so i feel like while i don't necessarily like like that sad vibe for the movie and i kind of liked mutt williams not gonna lie um (laughs) We'll get there. Me but, too. <laughs> uh, well, well, like part part of it is just me personally. I didn't like that. That's the way they took the character, but they also don't really give it justice for as like severe of an emotional trauma as that is for these characters. And I wish we could have seen Marion be more be more of a character like she was in Raiders and like she was in Crystal Skull, and actually have a little bit more agency than just showing up for the finale. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, part of that's just because you know Shia is a tough, a tough guy yeah. at this point, at this moment in time. So that they did, they probably they were like, eh, we're not touching this kind of thing. Um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you there. Uh, I guess we should say that we are going to spoil all these movies. So if you don't want these movies spoiled, <laughs> don't listen. To, well, listen to this podcast, but maybe mute it so we, we get the numbers but then come back and listen to it again when you don't want it to be spoiled, I think is the way to go. Um, but we have to talk about the ending of this movie because this was the one time where I was like, oh, what's going on here? Um, which is when they are flying through, what is that, like a void in the sky with the dial of destiny. And they're like, they're, I guess they're they're dialing the dial. I don't know. I don't know what's going yeah. on there. And they... I couldn't tell if it was just like a portal that just happened to be open or if it was something that like, like was the guile dot was the dial guiding them to it or was it just like making this? Yeah. Or did like, they finally sync it up, which caused the thing to, sh- to pop out. It, I don't know. I don't know what was happening, but 
I thought that scene was really good for like the tension of it. I was like, I have no, like this is the, the first time in the movie where I was like, I don't know where the hell this movie's going <laughs> and it's going on for a really long time. And then you have the thing about, um, what was it? Archimedes didn't know about something time wise. He didn't remember. know about Connell drift. That's he should have watched right. the ice age movies. <laughs> <laughs> a very important historical text. Those ice age movies. Um, and so you're like, oh, what's going to happen? And it goes on for just long enough where you think it's going to be a fake out. And then they actually go back in time <laughs> to Archimedes and, or is it the Battle of Syracuse, right? Yeah. Um, and it is incredible schlock. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> it's really <laughs> incredible that they actually chose to do that. And it's really, really fun. I don't know if it's good, but it's really fun. <laughs> It was a curveball, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Definitely a curveball. And then I love how they just, like, they just decide to end it with Phoebe Waller-Rich just punching Harrison Ford in the face. It's like, ah, don't worry about this anymore. <laughs> it's like, like, wait, then what was, was that not all it was cracked up to be? We could just leave now and that's and now it's over? We're okay? <laughs> but, you know, that would have probably led to a three and a half hour long Indiana Jones movie if we were dealing with the repercussions of that, so... I yeah, can't say I, one, can't say I blame them. One thing I think they missed in the finale was like how little of a meal they made out of all, all of the Nazis getting their their just desserts. Because like you know, this franchise is known for how brutally it kills its villains, uh -huh. um, and they all just kind of go out pretty quickly one by one. Yeah, and so I, I think that was an L. That was an L. Yeah, Spielberg has been very open about how it's you know. The, the original Raiders is just is very much a Jewish revenge film um, and a lot and you know they just, the Nazis get their face melted off like come on these are Nazis like you they can do they're one, they're one of the few historical groups of people that you can literally do anything to and everybody would be like ah oh, oh, yes <laughs> they, 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 that, guy, that guy got his head chainsawed off that was great yes great cinema <laughs> it's the one thing we can agree on you can just do horrible things to them on screen um so yeah i'm with you they could have done they definitely could have done more there and you have mads too like just let mads cook yeah i have kind of an unhinged theory about this movie oh please go so it went through three writing teams um there's a lot of my theory my theory is that the beginning of this movie was originally supposed to be the end of this movie Ooh. In the sense that originally, I think they were supposed to go back in time and become that plane that like shoots up the train at the beginning of the film. And it, for me, what makes that make sense is the fact that Mads' character has no recollection of Indy. And he's also been healed from what should have been like a body destroying yeah, <laughs> collision <that's> with true. <laughs> a big metal pole. <laughs> Con, I think you just blew my mind a little bit. That's an incredible take. I love it. That would have been a better movie too, personally. I yeah, that's that's my unhinged theory. I think like in one of the drafts somewhere, whether it was like the first draft and that was where they started, or whether it was like the last draft and they're like, you know, would be cool, and they're like, no, we've already got our comedies cast. We can't go back on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really good. That would have made for a much better movie. And there's a there's a weird, I guess, relationship that these movies that that fans have with these movies and how weird they get like he's you know obviously it's about archaeology and history meeting with the supernatural or like whatever science fiction um 
And it seems to, I get confused when there's like backlash to some things that are like, they really go for it. And sometimes there, there isn't backlash to things that, that these movies go for in terms of like crazy things that happen when they're in the, in the pursuit of the MacGuffin. So, um, I'm personally just, you know, Indiana Jones movie, there's, there's bound to be some crazy, bizarre nonsense that happens. So if there's going to be time travel in an Indiana Jones movie, sure. Why not? Let's do it. <laughs> At least it wasn't a multiverse. Ooh, you're giving them ideas for Indy 6. <laughs> <laughs> the the only thing that really jumped the shark for me in this movie is, and this might be the hottest take I deliver, is I buy Indy surviving a nuclear blast in a refrigerator more than I survive than I buy him surviving the hanging where the bomb shows up in the middle of the floor right beneath him destroys the building. Oh, I'm kills so with you. Else. I'm so with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit too. Um, any thoughts? Any more thoughts on Dial of Destiny? I feel like we're good here. Those are a lot of thoughts for for yeah. this movie. <laughs> we, you know, I I talked a lot about how it's a movie that you can't really say much about, and here we are. You know, that's why we're podcasters. You just you, we're just making gold out of this. <laughs> uh, let's move on to uh, our number four slot, which I guess comes to me. And I think in the four spot, this could be a swing vote, but I'm going to put Temple of Doom in the number four spot. How do you feel about that one? Interesting. I personally didn't put it there, but for the sake of discussion, I'm kind of interested to to see how it how it goes there. Okay. Because I, well, I didn't have it very far from number four, so was it your three? You can you can. It was okay. Why don't we make it? Since since Dial was my four and your five, why don't we flip flop this one as well and put this four? Is okay, that fair. Is that fair? Works for me. Um, let's do it. Um, so we'll put Temple of Doom at four. And would you, I guess well this movie has definitely been reclaimed a little bit but I think it always has been considered slightly like the ugly duck of the of the Indiana Jones franchise because it is by far the most different in tone you mentioned Spielberg wanted to do a Bond movie and you know the beginning of this movie is just Harrison Ford doing a Bond riff because he's in the white tuxedo um, talking to shady characters about getting his artifact and whatnot um, uh, it's so this movie, I think, is definitely, I totally get why people like it, because I think it's so, there's a lot of cool stuff in it. You know, like, they have, like, the bridge scene at the end, which is just, like, really good. Even though I don't love this movie, I think that is, like, one of the better Indiana Jones scenes. Like, it's very, like, that is, like, when you think of Indiana Jones, like, that's one of the, the scenes you think of, where he has the ripped shirt, and he has, like, the sword on the middle of the bridge, and it's just really cool. Um, I think it's a matter of taste where this movie is definitely more slapstick and definitely way more mean spirited. Cause I think Lucas <laughs> even mentioned where he wrote this movie when he was going through his divorce and he was just kind of angry. <laughs> so he wrote this movie. Um, the tone just does not work as well for me. Um, I know like, so they're working with, so we have Kate Capshaw is the indie girl this time around who I think was Spielberg's second wife. So I guess good his for current wife. Oh, they're still together? Good for them. Proud proud for them. Well, it led to something good. <laughs> um, and I don't mind. I think this is where I differ, where I think a lot of people over time have 
pointed out her as like the weak link of this movie and find her really annoying and the way i slightly look at it is she's doing exactly what she's tell she's been told to do she's acting up to 11 and she's being this person where it's like oh my gosh i'm in the i'm in nature i need all my jewels and i need my money um it just the comedy doesn't work for me um i just don't find it particularly funny uh i just i see i they, they went they ascribed to the vision of what they were going for and i just don't like that vision very much i guess is how i look at it it's just um Indy, Indy, I think as a character is like slightly more like he teeters back and forth between being snarky um, and really heartwarming and also like a little cutting. And I think this movie, he's a little too mean spirited and I guess manly man swashbuckling for my taste. I think they dialed it back the other way really nicely in the franchise later on. But um, yeah, I just this this movie's a little wonky for me, which is why I don't love it even though there are like a real like a lot of really fun set pieces that we'll talk about um and you know it's the some of the racism's tough <laughs> it's just it's just <laughs> tough you know uh short round saying it feels like he stepped on um fortune cookies that's just you know it's just it's tough <laughs> it really is um but yeah i think that and just a lot of other things it's just you know it's just not a movie for me um but why what is what are your takes on this movie why do you kind of defend it a little more so I love all four of the movies we still have left to talk about. Fair um, enough. I'm just, just going to put that out there. Um, but I I think what's interesting in like how this one has been reclaimed over time is I think this is also kind of the odd one out because Definitely. this is the least connected to any of the others, right? We don't see any of these characters again. Um, at this point, Marion's in three out of five of these movies. She's not in this one. Uh, we don't see Sala or Brody, who are the other two main connections. Um, so I, I think this is kind of the odd one out over time. So I can definitely see like why it probably hasn't aged up as well as Raiders or Last Crusade or even Crystal Skull at this point. Um, but I also think that this was the ugly duckling until two uglier ducklings showed up in most people's opinions. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it also gets like the level of reclamation that the prequels get. Well, this is a much better movie than the prequels, but like the Star Wars, everything they've done since 2019 has shown up and, and people are like, wow, Attack of the Clones isn't so bad. Um, but I, I feel like this movie has kind of undergone a little bit of that as well. Um, but I do agree with you. I think this is the most bond of them all because it is a pretty isolated event. Um, and I think this is more like, this is just kind of the most straightforward adventure of them all too. Um, because the, the stones themselves aren't really tied up emotionally to any of the characters. Um, they're more indicative of like that journey India is going on and like understanding to appreciate like the value they have to other people and not just as relics. Um, but yeah, I think it it goes on much more of the exciting action set piece to action set piece kind of adventure thing um, than some of the other movies do. Um, especially the latter three movies in the franchise are going to be a lot more sentimental than this one is. And this one, kind of like you said, is mean-spirited and not really sentimental at all because divorce kind of does that to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lucas being down um, bad writing the script. <laughs> it's, just, it's really funny but to I, think about. I think it's also 
the goofiest and the most slapstick. Like this oh, might absolutely. be the most comedic of all five of them. Like there Definitely. is some goofy stuff that happens. Like in the first 10 minutes, some guy gets killed with a flaming kebab. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> I think in like, and in taking this back to like movies and, you know, entertainment of the 1930s, I think you're going to have the other two, especially the last crusade is a lot more like tongue in cheek with its humor and a lot more like more like radio and Jack Benny and like that kind of humor of that era where this movie is straight up three stooges at some points. Um, there's, you know, yeah. when, when short round saves Indy from when he, he burns him later in the movie um, to save him from the blood of the Kali, like short round runs in and does like a bunch of really showy, like Kung Fu kicks <laughs> and just like <laughs> short round is going toe to toe with these grown men who are <laughs> part of a, a several hundred year old cult trained to do nothing but kill. <laughs> short round he's just he's just got it you know <laughs> i i love it for all those reasons because it is so different but it also sits lower on the list because it is so different yeah i think it's just i i'm typically the one on this podcast that like rails against formula but i think in the as far as indiana jones goes i think the properly calibrated version of the Indiana Jones character, I think shows up in the other movies rather than this one where it's, I also get it cause it's, you can look at it where like, this is a prequel. So he, there's a growth that comes after this movie. Um, but you know, like when I'm watching this movie, I like, I don't really care. I don't really think about it as a prequel. You know, like I don't really think about the interconnectedness of these, like the lore, like the interconnected lore of these movies. I just think about like the lore within each specific movie. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but so when you just watch this movie, like, I don't know, like the stones, I think are the, are the the lamest of the, uh, MacGuffins in my, in my, in my (laughs) opinion. Um, a lot of, a lot of good MacGuffins. I guess at the end, we'll talk about our favorite MacGuffin of the bunch. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like it just a lot of it rubs me the wrong way, and like you, know, I don't know. Like the racism, I think it's just tough. It's it's really tough. It's you know, it's we talk about it to this day for a reason. Um, but there is that being said, I do like I am totally fine with it being above Dial of Destiny because there's a lot of really fun moments in it. Um, like I love the the coal the coal car race through the tracks of like the like the caves of like the of the of the temple and it's so funny because when you think about it and you look back at the logic of them like they kind of don't make sense it's like why would a track just like go out into like the side of the side of a cliff like that makes no sense but it doesn't matter because it's really fun um and, and like you know, like the water rushing at them and it's just really it's really goofy in that way and i really like that um i think the plane sequence is really fun um honestly like that is the most probably the least like believable like they survived that <laughs> stunt in all of these movies like what well, like you know like him surviving a, nu- a nuke in the fridge i think you know him surviving falling from a plane in a raft onto a mountain you know there's what can you say you know sometimes i'll just put it this way sometimes the indiana jones movies aren't believable if you can believe that <laughs> <laughs> um and it's okay um but yeah, I think there there definitely is a lot of personality to this movie, which I think is makes it interesting at the very least to definitely to talk about. Um, you know, obviously you have like the whole Kali Ma, the rip the heart out. Well, that that that, that stuff is just cool. I don't like that's just like 
there's 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 scenes that have lived on throughout like throughout like I guess pop culture history since that people continue to refer back to that make this movie really cool. Whether it's like the the heart scene, the the um, the bridge scene, uh, a bunch of different stuff. So it, there's a lot of really good stuff in it. Yeah, and I think part of the reason why I had this a little, little bit ahead of Crystal Skull on my rankings is because I think a lot of the cultural insensitivity allows it to get away with certain goofiness that you, because like it, this movie plays on our own prejudices that you have as an audience towards like this, this mystical foreign land called India. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it, it like in a, in a kind of twisted way, it masks some of the goofiness because as you know, an audience in 1984, like, you don't know, for all, you know, that's what they do in India. It's, it's not really, but um, I, I think, some of those comedic beats work a little bit better because it plays off of the audience's own cultural insensitivity and more the audience's own unfamiliarity with other like foreign lands. Because um, this, this movie is way more self-referential and mean-spirited in that way. So that's, that's I could get behind that take, maybe. Um, maybe. And, and I'll talk about a movie that doesn't have that to help its goofier moments in a little bit. Um, <laughs> but I do want to say that the opening scene in Club Obi-Wan is one of my favorite like indie things ever. Like I just love it's really everything good. about that with the little back and forth on the on the table and um, like somebody getting shot while the wine, the champagne bottle pops and the uh, indie cutting the the uh, paramount shield to hide from all the bullets yeah and the cover of anything goes is just 10 out of 10 it's really good yeah the the him running with the the shield um as the as the machine guns going on that's really fun um and you have there's pandemonium he's trying to get the the antidote and people are just kicking all over the place it's just it's you know i obviously spielberg a lot of personality as a filmmaker again he's made good movies um, but I love his playfulness in his action sequences. Um, like just time and time again, he has, obviously he's a great master and he knows how to like stage a sequence and they're like, they're cool to watch, but also they have just little great personality moments that it just really make them like put them over the top. So I, yeah, it's just, the action is really fun in this movie and definitely that first bit where it's like, that is like the bond indiana jones bond riff um and that's really fun too um then you have you have short round um waiting outside with with the car and driving away you have your dan Aykroyd um (laughs) cameo in there there's just a lot going on in that first bit of the movie that's really fun uh fun fact about the bridge scene is i've actually seen some of the alligators they used in that movie Oh, was it just like in Florida? Yeah, <laughs> <There's> <laughs> that a... is funny because like when they when they go down to the gators, it's just like clearly stock footage. Like they're just throwing them chicken or something, and like the gators are doing like the death roll. <laughs> and they put like they put like red cloth to like match like the robes of the the bad guys. It's really funny. But yeah, so I've I've seen some of them because they do live in Florida. Um, and then like it was really cool because i i talked a little bit earlier about how like improv makes a big impact in these movies and like the bridge scene itself wasn't something that they were originally going to be able to do 
and they lucked out and on location there was some like actual company was building some something or other and had a whole bunch of construction equipment in the area and they're like hey we'll pay if you'll like you know come build this thing for us because they couldn't afford to bring all their own equipment and contractors out but they were able to like piggyback off of this other thing going on and so they built them one bridge and they're like you're gonna have one shot at it <laughs> and if it doesn't work like that's it yeah it's it's a really good scene it's really fun um shall we move on let's do it okay we'll go to our number three which i will let i will let you decide number three Number three is going to be Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I'm shocked it's not Raiders. <laughs> uh, yeah, that this sounds right. You know, I feel like there are some people who have different takes out there, but this is these three movies in whatever order is correct in my in my estimation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, tell me a little bit about about Crystal Skull. So. I think, you know, I, I just talked about in Temple of Doom how like our the unrecognizability of like a foreign country lets the movie get away with a lot more goofiness. Um, I think because crystal skull taps into such a familiar atmosphere, especially in the first hour or so where you're just in the Midwest um, in the 1950s, I don't think it manages to get away with as much goofiness throughout. And I'm thinking in particular of like the jocks versus Soch, uh fist fight oh which I, I love it i love, I love it <laughs> i love the subtle details in that scene like when shia labeouf dips his comb into the guy's coke <laughs> and then the like the the girlfriend points it out um but i th- i think it makes some really great action sequences feel a little bit unbelievable um you know i i think the the nuke town is the one that everyone kind of goes to but i think even the chase throughout the university on the motorcycle um, I think it's really cool and it's a setting that you don't get really in any of these I other movies. Sequence. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it just it feels a little bit more slapstick and more goofy than it does is driven as some of the action in the original three, because it's in such a familiar environment. Um, not just, you know, from people's memories, but pop culturally. Um, it feels a little bit more predictable in that go- regard. Like obviously Mutsa Greaser, of course, they're gonna brawl with the socials for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think and I, I talked about this with Dial of Destiny, is I think there are some legitimately really great moments in this movie. Um yeah. I like I I don't think this movie is always firing on all cylinders, um, particularly in any scene where Mac is present, but I think there are some really great indie moments in this movie. Um, I'm thinking like in particular where uh, Jim Broadbent's character, Dean Stanforth, because that's his name. Um, <laughs> they're, they're sitting in Indy's house and they're, they're talking about um, Brody dying and Henry senior dying. And there's a the quote, it seems we've reached the age where life stops giving us things and starts taking them. Um, it's just man like that hits and there's there's a lot of moments in this movie where stuff like that whether it's action or comedy or other sentimental parts like really hit and when it hits it hits but unfortunately it doesn't always hit yeah and i think so this movie's interesting where it's definitely playing a little bit off of the nostalgia of the franchise because this this movie came out what 15 years after um last year 19 years 19 years yeah so it's it's been a minute but it's still it's still trying new things which i really appreciate you know Kate blanchett 
God bless her. One of our greats. <laughs> just hamming it up as as Irina Spalko, or however she says her name. Um, it just as this like as the the Russians like it is just they are like I think the hamminess I think comes from the the actors and knowing what movie they are in versus the setting in this situation. Um, so I. Like, I love, like, as soon as Kate Blanchett shows up and she is doing that hammy Russian accent, I'm like, this is great. Like, they like they know exactly what they're doing here. Um, and I, lo- I, I personally, I, my favorite sequence is that, like, that university chase sequence. I think it's so much fun and such a blast. Um, and, you know, I don't hate Shia LaBeouf in this movie. I think he's, you know, like, tough guy, but he is always been a pretty good actor in my estimation. I think he's really fun here. Um, and it's interesting because um, Spielberg has always been known to kind of like pick people, like pick people and be like, you are like the one. And he was, it seemed like he was going to be that. And you've kind of seen glimpses of like, you know, like a movie like Honey Boy, where he's amazing in that, even though that movie is entirely full of shit, apparently, where he made, Charlotte Puff made that movie all up because <laughs> um, it was supposed to be on his life, but I guess it wasn't at all. So, um, yeah, he's. I think he's a really talented guy, um, very very complex person. But I think he makes for a really good. There are so many movies where the the young, like the son or the young version of like the character you love, comes into the picture and it's really terrible. I don't think this is one of them. I think Shia LaBeouf is perfectly fine. I think the jokes come from his name being Mutt. I think most <laughs> most of all, because <laughs> I don't know. That's just like I guess silly to point out, but um, I think this movie's great. Definitely goes off, goes a little off the rails a little bit with um, the aliens at the end, but you know it's it is what it is. It's I think the other big thing, probably the other big demerit I have with this is that it's this is made right before the Avatar time. Is this oh eight and then Avatar was oh yeah. nine? So I guess they were being made somewhere around the same time, but. This is when we are starting to you really rely on, um, you know, like green screen and CGI and like implementing that into how we make movies. And you know, the CGI just isn't great. And it's very clear that they're on a soundstage a lot of the time in this movie, so that's not ideal. Um, but you know, I just think there's some really fun action sequences in this. I love the what are those things like those killer ants that they have to deal with in that like Big that damn field. Ants. Yeah, the big damn ants. Like those are like that sequence is great, and it's kind of just like it's really gross when they all like go into that guy's mouth. Like I just like it's gross. Um, so I, I think there's. I just think this movie's really fun. I, what can I say? I I like the Duke fridge. It's it makes it makes me laugh. I really I very much enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, and I I'm gonna echo that for the most part. I I think this movie works really well for me until you get into the jungle. And then that's where a lot of like the goofiness, like the to me, the worst moment in this movie is Mutt swinging on the vines with the monkeys. Oh, um, I love it. That's it's it. fine. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, um, but I, I think like there's some really great moments with Marion, like Indy and Marion in the truck, and when he he delivers the uh, they weren't you um, line. Like I, I think that's another example of a time when this movie works really great. Again, I think most of this movie's problems come from a character named Mac who just 
He's never, and I feel bad because Ray Winston always gets cast as this character in every franchise. <laughs> love Ray, love Ray Winston. He's he's the best. Um, but, but he's not. He's yeah, not here. <laughs> Mac Mac never really works for me, um, and I don't know if Oxley ever fully works for me either. John Hurt's um, going for it in this movie. Yeah, jo- he's John really Hurt's going, going for it. For it. <laughs> <laughs> but I I think the core drama with Indy Mutt and Marion works really well for me. Um, I think the score in this movie is really good and I don't love it as much as the other two we have left to talk about. Um, but I think like the, uh, I, th- I think of that final scene where, I mean, the final shot actually where um, Mutt's about to put on the hat and Indy grabs it from him and then the the music swells and comes in with the Indiana Jones theme. And I think, I think there's a lot of really good things about this movie. Um, and I think it gets unfairly lumped with the Star Wars prequels when this is easily a cut above the Star Wars prequels. Yeah, there's a lot of imagination in this movie that I really appreciate. And I think it's definitely, if this movie, I think, was more practical, I think a lot of, I think people feel a lot better about this movie. Because there are some times where, like, yeah, like, the swinging through the vine, swinging in the vines with the monkeys, it doesn't, Newsflash doesn't look like National Geographic, sorry <laughs> to say. It doesn't look very real. Um, but I love it's for me, I love how playful and like silly it is. Cause like, you know, that leads to like, they're in that, like the tank truck and they are like slowly like dropping, like they're in like trees and like they drop from one tree to like the next and it like it lands them in the river. And then they have to like go down like the bits of like the, the river on like the waterfalls. Like it's really like, there's so much goofy stuff in this movie that it's like, you know, like Swinging through the vines with the monkeys, that's the word. That's the least of our problems. We're dealing with interdimensional aliens, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think it's fine. I think I like these. I like this movie quite a bit. And I think I have I have a conflicted relationship with the indie girls, but, you know, like I love Marion. Like, Marion is the best. And I love... I just, like, I think Karen Allen's amazing, and she is really fun in this movie. And I think... You're right where it's like there's a lot of really good banter and a lot of good lines in this movie that I think help to even out the wonkiness um, through it. Because I think Karen Allen is just really good at um, like sparring with Harrison Ford. Um, They're really good together. Um, And I think like especially going back to Raiders like these movies have always like given the Marion character a little a little more agency than the typical action or the typical action adventure girl typically gets so i think i just seeing her like having her come back for this movie is just really great yeah and i think even the wonky bits of this movie i think are pretty forgivable when you understand that you know they they moved into a different genre that they were kind of nostalgic for and they're very very blatant about the fact that no we wanted to make like a very schlocky 1950s alien attack you know this was an era where people were you know filming like zoomed in you know, shots of ants and grasshoppers and being like, ah, 50 feet and then posing them onto like (laughs) army soldiers shooting at them. And so when you think of like the style that they're getting at, I think it's a really good imitation of that style, even if it doesn't taste the same as the first three do. Yeah. I, I like it a lot. And I think it's, it's tough too. Cause you know, rate you watch Raiders in that movie hasn't really aged a day at all. And it's tough where it's like, this movie is, 20 years like what is it 27 years younger 
that, is that math? Something like that. That, and, that makes sense. And it's already showing its age, you know. It's so that's just. It, I mean, it's tough because Raiders is like probably like as far as practical effects goes. I feel well. I feel like I'm kind of ruining what I think about these movies for later on in our rankings. But you get the idea. I like that movie. <laughs> I like that movie a whole lot. <laughs> I think from there, we should move on to one and two. And rather than me designate two, I think we should we should hash this out because I know you. So we have Raiders and Last Crusade. And I know you love Last Crusade, so you know okay. I'm I'm curious. Is, is so is Last Crusade your personal number one? Yeah. Okay, it is. It is. See, boom. it's tough because it's like you know Raiders is kind of like unimpeachable, but I love Last Crusade. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> what do we think? Should we just say fuck it and put Last Crusade one? I think should we, we should. It? It's it's Let's where it. it deserves. Fuck it. Fuck it. I would say Raiders is probably my favorite of the two, but, you know, content. Why not? <laughs> so we'll put we'll put Raiders at two. I feel okay with that. We'll we'll survive. Everyone on the internet will survive. And then we'll put Last Crusade at one. Um that's fine with me. And there's still time in this podcast. Things could change. Who's to say? <laughs> they won't. At least from <laughs> the de- side. <laughs> they definitely won't. I'm just too lazy to go back. It's already in the dock. It's t- it's there. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's talk about Raiders at 2. Um, what is there to say about this movie? You know? It's like Jaws. It's like, it's great. <laughs> it's I think... One of the mo- Sorry, go ahead. I think more than any other movie in this franchise, this is a pretty movie. Like visually, yeah. I think this movie wipes the floor with everything. Um, and kind of like you you mentioned, it hasn't aged today. It really hasn't. Um, and I think Spielberg's been pretty open about the fact that David Lean inspired the visual sense of this movie, particularly Definitely. Lawrence of Arabia. There's a little bit of Bridge on the River Kwai, but really Lawrence is the visual basis for this movie. And Douglas Slocum, who shot the first three movies, is just going insane every time they're in the sand. Um, there's, you know, I, I saw a, a tweet list or an article or something that was like the 50 most beautiful shots from Indiana Jones and probably 30 of them were from this movie. Um, <laughs> and for good reason, like this is just a gorgeous movie and it it blows not just other action movies of the era, but modern action movies out of the water, just in terms of how just intricate the shots are laid out. Like Spielberg's a king of blocking, um, and that's evident here, but mm-hmm. you've just got some amazing shots all throughout this movie. Yeah, and it's like, I know the the opening sequence of this movie has been studied and like however many times, you know, it's like basically the beginning opening sequence of this movie with the boulder and everything is taught in film school because it is a perfect is a perfect little short film about how to properly introduce a character um you have him come out of the shadows and it's really sweet and you see like you see all these reactions to um indeed before you see him um then you have that amazing action sequence and then kind of flying out and then um i guess one of my favorite things is just like the the snake in the plane because it's like why why the fuck would there be a snake there ever <laughs> it just makes me it's just really in other movies that would be lame but here i'm like uh eh, it's just great it's, 
you know, he's it's it's Reggie. It's his pet Reggie. He loves him, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just it's just the opening is just it's just great blockbuster movie making, and the rest of it is too. It's just there's, you know, I just I think one of the most amazing things ever is I think the stunt guy the stunt guy's name is Terry Leonard, the guy who uh, is goes underneath the truck. And and goes down the ladder at the bottom at the underneath the truck and and kind of that that scene that entire stunt is just like holy shit like he deserves all of the awards for it because you watch it now and it's like how the fuck did he do that like how was he okay <laughs> after that happened uh, so you just have amazing stuff like that and then there's just like, yeah like how many great like every, there's so many great movie moments from this movie like literally. I think every scene in this movie has probably been parodied or referenced in other movies. So it is kind of one of those like with Star Wars and Jaws and all that where it's soaked so much into the public consciousness that it's just, you know, it just is. It's just really great. Yeah. And I think, you know, there there's a complaint that like some of the villains in Indiana Jones can be a little bit forgettable on their own. Um, but I don't think Paul Freeman gets enough credit for how good he is Oh, yeah. playing block in this movie yes like he's oh he eats up every, every scene he's so good and like he's you know he's an asshole like he's working with the nazis yeah but you can't help but love him um, he's chewing that he, scenery so hard it's great he literally eats a fly for this movie it's <laughs> uh he's just so good in every single scene that he's in and in the parallel between him and indy throughout the movie um just gives him this edge that um, I, I think this franchise mostly has good villains, um, but it just gives them an edge that none of the other really other villains are really able to quite level with Indy in that same way. Whereas every scene they're in, Indy's just looking in a mirror and Paul Freeman destroys it and is going toe to toe with Harrison Ford. Yeah, and I love Ronald Lacey too as as Tote. Is just is it Tote Tot? I don't know how to say it. Major Tote. I think it's Tote, yeah. He's he's great too. Like it just He's really true in the scenery too. There is, yeah, it's just, it's great. And obviously, like, there's the classic stories of everybody when they were filming just being sick as hell. So they're like, we're <laughs> not going to do the sword sequence with this dude. Sorry for practicing for weeks, but Harrison Ford's just going to shoot you now. And then it turns into like, one of the greatest scenes ever, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it's just, God, it's just so good. And, like I said at the like at the top of this, where it does feel like the first modern action movie. It feels like everybody is trying to live up to this in 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 some way or another. It's just you know, good movie, very very good movie. <laughs> it's yeah. It, it would anything be here without it? I mean, we talked about earlier how many movies are straight ripoffs of, of the Indiana Jones yeah. template, but like how many major action franchises or i mean major action stars would even been able to you know create the things they did without raiders coming in and paving the way yeah it's it created everything you know a movie about getting the thing to stop the other thing um just villains being very very evil um in a swashbuckling way it's just you know it's just it's really great it's one of those we were, I, I put it on because when we were leading up to Dial of Destiny, I just started watching all these, going back through all these movies again, like everybody else. 
And I was sitting next to my wife and the opening goes on. She was like, and both of us were like, damn, this movie just rips. Like it just, it just <laughs> really works. And every scene is just so cool. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's great. It's, it's, it's a quality flick. It is. I think it's going to have a pretty good legacy. Not gonna I think so. Lie. I think so too. I think you're right. <laughs> well, let's move on to our number one, which Last Crusade, which is, what would you say? Is this one of the better sequels ever? I think it's so. It's really up there. It's really good. And it, it's like, it's, it's not even like, it, it doesn't quite belong in the same category as Empire for me, because it's not a direct follow-up, but it's like, mm-hmm. you know, eight years after the original, the third movie in the franchise, and it... It sits in a in a category with like War for the Planet of the Apes is like let's end this thing with the biggest bang possible. Yep. How many? Yeah. How many third movies in a franchise are that are good? And like this is definitely at the top of that list in a lot of ways. Um, it's just, um, and I think they they struck gold with Connery come, coming into the role. I know you. Amen. You you have a long history with Sean Connery. Uh, we've talked about a few of those kind of very interesting films in his filmography because you've gone on a journey and watched all of his movies. Um, him as him as Henry Jones, uh, Henry Jones Senior is just he is great. And it was, I think, at some point it was supposed to be another actor or the character itself was supposed to be a little more. Um, I guess there there was supposed to be a little more of a nerd, and he was like, "Actually, I have notes because I'm Sean Connery. I need to be a little cooler than that." <laughs> but it's great too because I think like he doesn't overpower it in a way where the character is still very much like he's an intellectual. And then when Harrison Ford is punching people, he's like, "Oh, good heavens!" I mean, he doesn't say that, but that's that's his reaction in a lot of ways, uh, where he's kind of out of his element. Um, and the dynamic between them is just so much fun. It's just it's just such a blast. It's such a smart idea to bring in his dad for this. And then obviously you have um, the whole um, prologue with River Phoenix, which is also just really great. Um, kind of another one of those like young version of the character uh, things that typically never works, but it just works really, really well here. And it acts as another just really good short film at the beginning of this movie. Um I'll let you. I guess I'll let you run with this because this is one of your. This is one of your movies. This is on your Letterboxd four still. Oh yeah, this is this is my top yeah. four. This so this is this is one of your movies. So I feel like I should see the floor to you here. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little unhinged and I'm gonna I'm gonna put my <laughs> one negative first. Okay, this is great. Get it out of the way. Um, so I think that in a way, this movie kind of broke the franchise because this is the first one where Indy has more of like a three point arc, you know, from act to act. Um, and I think part of what makes Crystal Skull and Dial of Destiny feel clunky at times is trying to recapture that emotional arc rather than the first two, which are like, here's an adventure, let's go. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think because this one set the standard so high, it redirected the franchise later on to try and recapture this movie instead of trying to recapture like Raiders or recapture Temple of Doom a little bit more. Yeah, it probably always should have ended here, right? And like they... It is the same idea where it's like we need him to reconnect with his family member in this way and like think about how he actually connects with people. And yeah, you're right. They're just doing it again and again. So 
And judging by how long it took for Crystal Skull to be made, I'm sure this that was always like they wanted to wrap that up in a nice way because this was going to be the last one. But then you know, they dropped the bag, <laughs> so they made two yeah. more. <laughs> well, initially there were plans to make a fourth with Connery and Ford both on board, but Lucas and oh, really? Spielberg spent the '90s arguing about aliens, um, and it wasn't <laughs> until after the Star Wars prequels that Spielberg finally relented. <laughs> that's so funny i never knew that that's great um so that i've read the uh there's a book that details the making of all of these and it's literally like every time they're tossing around ideas george lucas is like aliens and spielberg's like no i don't want to do that (laughs) (laughs) it just gets pushed and pushed until the fourth one um but yeah i i think every I, i love everything about this movie um this was my favorite when i was a kid um, this started my Sean Connery obsession. Um, I played an old man in a play in the sixth grade. And because of this movie, I did a Sean Connery voice for him the whole time. Um, <laughs> for a brief while, this movie was the reason why The Rock by Michael Bay was my top movie of all time. Hell yeah. Let's go. Let's <laughs> go, brother. School. <laughs> because it just, it opened the gateway to Sean Connery for me. Um, like you said, I've I've been through every part of that gateway. <laughs> um but i think i think this movie is interesting in a lot of ways because it lets connery and ford be funny which isn't something they get enough credit or enough opportunity to do um and because they're you know they're both leading men they're both more or less action stars i think connery does a little bit more drama than he does action but you know they're they're not the guys you want to see in a screwball comedy and Spielberg lets them do that and improvise um, like the the line about um, talking in her sleep. Sean Connery improvised that. Um, and I don't think the pair of them get enough credit for how funny they are. Um, Sean Connery in particular, if you ever get a chance, check out A Fine Madness, which is just an Irving Kirshner comedy. It's hilarious. Um, but <laughs> all of like he he's just such a good actor. I, I can't say it any more concise than that he's so good and this movie gets him the opportunity to have that really touching emotional arc um, reconnecting with indy and to be funny and be that comic relief at times and to also have you know little bits of action scattered throughout there um and it's just so good everything the two of them do uh, it makes you wish that even if it wasn't indiana jones that they had just done like i don't know like lethal weapon or something together just just put them in more things together yeah Um, the the whole scene with um them in the the burning castle is just so funny we're like i have to son i have to tell you something the floor's on fire (laughs) it's just really he's like do you like my sean connery accent by the way that's pretty good not bad i was proud of myself i I didn't know i could do that i just pulled it out (laughs) um it's just and then they're messing with the, I guess, the trap door and, and the swinging door in the fireplace is so funny. And then you have, like, the, the hench lady just yelling alarm at the top of her lungs is so good. It's so, so good. Um, you're right. Like, they are just so funny together. Um, I'm, like, it just, it kind of is, like, one of those things where it really is, like, a match made in heaven. Like, maybe you cast, like, another person in there and just this movie just isn't nearly the same. But it's, like, these guys just have amazing chemistry together and it just makes something, like, it makes, it creates something that is just so much more special than probably what was in the script. Yeah, and I think that this movie twists the formula a lot because the, you know, the grail is 
tied so intricately into like the search for his dad. Um, yeah. But it also twists the formula like with the indie girl, because you have Elsa who um, is only an indie girl until uh, Sean Connery shows up at the 48 minute mark. I know that mm-hmm. <laughs> down to the minute um, <laughs> and she stops being the indie girl right after that. And there's about an hour and a half of movie left. Um, so it, it really flips with her and having this love interest for both of them become the villain. And um, I think, I think Donovan's a lot of fun, even if he's not, just the most, you know, well-rounded. I don't, I don't think he quite has the edge that like Bella has, um, but Donovan is, he's a fun villain. Um, he's just, he's very like guy in the chair um, evil. Like he, he kind of feels like, I mean, he's literally in the chair when he makes a big reveal. Um, but <laughs> I, I think there's just a lot of sinister elements that are a lot of fun to this movie as well. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's not, dark you know like temple of doom was even though it's actual nazis as the villains uh but they managed to have you know stakes to that and to them finding the grail and um just the entire the the action sequences of this movie are a lot of fun i love the boat scene um where he says don't go between them and she goes between them and is just getting chopped up while they're beating each other on the back and (laughs) just the fact that that tank scene was mostly improvised because they needed more action later in the movie and uh, there's just so many wonderful things that came together to make this movie so special. And it is, yeah. it's just so good. It's so, there's so many funny moments too. Like I weirdly like where Temple of Doom is probably the most slapstick. I think I laugh the most at this, at, at Last Crusade. Like it was so funny. Like you have the whole, the whole like the book burning sequence where Hitler, like they think like Hitler's going to like, take the notebook and throw it into the fire and he just like signs his name in it and it's really it's just really fun. it's really funny um yeah I, I there's just so many like little bits or like when they um let the boats go when the before they do the motorcycle chase and they just like fly out and all the nazis are mad at that it's just it's really really funny um and very very playful in a way that i just like really appreciate um oh, oh my, my my favorite bit is they talk about how um, uh, Brody has the has the book, and he's like, he will like you. He, he knows everything. Like he'll disappear in 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 like two days, and you'll never see him again. And it cuts to it's like, does anybody anybody here speak English? It's just <laughs> it's such a funny, um, just a really great cut. It's like, I think it's like one of my I think it might be my favorite like cut in the movie. It's just really it's really funny comedic timing. Um, so yeah, it's just. It really does like if there's gonna be a C like sequel like or a franchise like this is kind of what I want it to be like there's like genuine heart it's really funny, um and it's also just really fun the action sequences are really inventive and fun, um and the Grail is pretty cool too I don't know how you feel about the Grail but I think the Grail is pretty cool I love the Grail um I think I think everything about the Grail Temple and that final climax is just great um you know i I really like spielberg's blocking in that scene where it's you have donovan like walking back and forth between these two sides who are you know kind of like posed up against each other like those old uh captain america civil war posters (laughs) um but you just have so much great movement and i think the the trials in the temple itself are a lot of fun and you have you know connery uh henry senior dying in the background and trying to kind of walk him through 
um, really like walking Indy through all these lessons he's had to learn from his father and about his father throughout the movie. And then you get into the grail room itself. And obviously the, like the aging scene is one of the most iconic things from this franchise. Really just (laughs) becoming really old. And it, it brings Elsa like, because she she picks the wrong grail and again it's this tension of like whose side is she really on like is she a bad person like she's a nazi but does she get to redeem herself like that kind of stuff and i i think she's really great in all of those sequences towards the end of the film and uh you know when you get to the actual climax itself and when uh sean connery calls him indiana for the first time and the music swells and it's just oh it's so good it's good it really works you know and spielberg you know he's just he's kind of a sap we know we've seen like he's very sentimental um and but that scene just works man like where he's telling them to let go it's, it's just it's just it's really good and it that's kind of i guess that's the spielberg ma- magic sometimes where you know just like it's any other filmmaker like that stuff would be way too sappy but in the situation it really really works and it's great um yeah it's a great movie i also do really i like allison duty in this movie i think she's pretty fun um i definitely prefer marion but obviously like um elsa's different character you know she's she's (laughs) working through different stuff here so it's not quite the marion stand-in that like kate capshaw is where like she's very much just like she's not a heroine because she's not very heroic but she's very much like on the heroic journey with indy um, whereas obviously she's you know, Duty, she's got her own things going on. She might like the Nazis, who's to say? Um, but I like her. I think she's actually really fun in this movie. Um, I didn't realize she was Australian. I think the, the German accent's a little hacky, but um, I think in a fun way. I just didn't realize she was an Australian until afterwards. I was like, oh, good for her. She did it. <laughs> um, yeah, is there anything else you wanted to mention here? Yeah, I've got uh, two small things. One, the uh, the cut from the guy, uh, his name is just Fedora. They didn't give him an actual name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, putting the Fedora on Indy and then cutting to the boat scene where he's still chasing after that cross of Coronado. Um, I think is another just really great cut within this movie. Um, and then partially about this movie, partially the franchise as a whole is, I think I can confidently say that I think John Williams does his best work in the franchise as a whole. Um, but I think Last Crusade might be my favorite John Williams score out oh, of all wow. of them. And I've also listened to every John Williams score. So <laughs> I believe you. You you do love John Williams. That's 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 a good one. I don't know what my favorite John Williams score would be, but this is this one's pretty good, as all of them are. Can't say there's a bad one <laughs> and that I could think of off the top of my head. Um, yeah, it's just I. This is a very. It's a it's like a very it's a very special movie that I think I'm you're almost kind of surprised that it works as well as it is because it's very much built off of like the the action formula that was built in Raiders um, and it was iterated on ever since um, but it's just really special it is kind of one of those lightning in a bottle movies where it just it somehow just it really is kind of like some the sum is more than the parts kind of situation um, yeah it's just really good. There's you had the blimp sequence in there too, which is really fun. No ticket, no ticket. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of really great. There's a lot of really great set pieces and moments, and just really moves really well. So um, yeah, it's just you know, it's a good movie. Really, really good movie. 
Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, before we get out of here, um, well, I guess we should we should go through these one more time for the listeners at home. Um, so let's go through our rankings again. So at number five, we have The Dial of Destiny. At number four, The Temple of Doom. Uh, three, we have The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Two, we have Raiders of the Lost Ark. And three, or I'm, I'm all over the place. What's going on here? <laughs> number one, The Last Crusade. Uh, I like that list. How do you feel about it? I like it. It's it's a good list. I'm still a little surprised that we uh, put Crystal and Temple where we did, but I don't think it's wrong at the same time. You know, I gave you Last Crusade at one, so I'm allowed to have my small victory. It's, I'll take them where I can, trade. you know. <laughs> it's definitely a fair trade. They're exactly the same. <laughs> but uh, before we get out of here, I do have to ask you, um, what is your favorite Indiana Jones MacGuffin? Mm. See, the last crusade lover in me wants to say the Holy Grail, but mm, I'm 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 gonna be a little unhinged here. I actually really like the crystal skull. Just oh, as an you object. did it! <laughs> and you know, thinking about I should I have all the like all the merchandise. That's my favorite one to just like look at because <laughs> it's it 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 feels so different than all of these because it's not really a a mythological thing at that point uh where it's you know these are these are all baked in mythology of different cultures and religions and you know different lore whereas the crystal skull is you know it's almost like a surprise to indy like he doesn't really know what he's looking for um and it the call of the crystal motif for it just real good um it's the it's the only motif that characters in this movie just want to stare into yeah i'm definitely with you where the skull is like the coolest like object like just to look at like i don't know like it's just neat it's a good idea like i don't know how they thought of that but it's really really cool um yeah we've i've shared my mentions of the stones kind of being lame in temple of doom um i think the grail is pretty cool maybe that's my catholic guilt coming out but (laughs) I think <laughs> I think the Grail is pretty neat, and I think I I agree with you where it's like you know they they wrap it into like his journey with his dad. You know, it's 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 good. It's the MacGuffin is more than just the MacGuffin. I, I like it a lot. I think that's that's probably my favorite. I think they're all cool. <laughs> Weirdly enough, though, Disney doesn't sell replicas of the Ark of the Covenant. Go they should. <laughs> they should get a little Lego set of that. You know, why not? We have Lego set of everything else. <laughs> well, I think that about does it for this episode. Uh, Colin, thanks to you for espousing on your indie love. As I think it was really good to, you know, as before we get into award season and to be able to talk about another summer blockbuster and the franchise that comes with it. Um, what are we talking about next time? Is it a Gran Turismo time? I hope not. <laughs> I'm ready to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon, the next billion dollar movie of this year, but it's going to take a while. I not not soon enough, if you ask me. Well, we'll figure that out. <laughs> well, as for everyone out listening there, thank you so much for giving giving us a listen. As always, you can uh, see the rest of our content on moviebabble.com. Look us up on social media we're kind of everywhere you can find us but yeah thank you so much for listening and until next time we'll see you